if that were to happen, knowing what you know now, what you had time to think about, is there anything you would do differently? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't do what we did. And we're pretty lucky over here that we rarely have any big time emergencies and that's really great. Kind of almost makes you concerned for what would happen if we did have one because we never have them. Uh, I don't think he should be a police officer, period. He doesn't keep anyone fairly. Anyone that I know that has dealt with him is always complaining about it. We're going to get you out of the car, okay? You're going to get out no matter how, no matter what. When he would make fun of you, he wasn't like really cruel about it, but he just wouldn't let up. He was like, oh, I guess you're just an airhead today. And then, like, the whole rest of the day, he would keep bringing it up. No. Sure, I'm behind your back. Put your other one back. Okay. Don't fuck around, either. I honestly know that my brother wouldn't have put anybody in harm's way. I think the only person that put anybody in harm's way is the person that pulled the trigger. The one thing I wanted... I wanted him to watch our children graduate from high school. I can't stand that he's gone. <laughs> Craig is a joy to have with us at our department. Uh, great personality, great sense of humor, brings a great life experiences to our department. Uh, but before we start, I'll let John read a little bit about him. So Craig is a 21-year resident of Paulsbo. Prior to working at the police department here, he worked for the Port Gamble Sklalem Tribal Police. Um, he entered law enforcement after a career in the insurance world. And All right, there you go. That's you in a nutshell. <laughs> and as soon as she's done, while your badge is being pinned on, I have a couple more things to comment about you. So, all right. Aye. Aye. Craig Keller. Having been duly appointed. Having been duly appointed. As a police officer. As a police officer. For the city of Paulsbo, Washington. For the city of Paulsbo, Washington. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support. That I will support. And enforce the ordinances. And enforce the ordinances. Of the city of Paulsbo. Of the city of Paulsbo. The constitution and laws. The constitution and laws. Of the United States. Of the United States. And the Constitution and laws. And the Constitution and laws. Of the state of Washington. Of the state of Washington. And will, to the best of my judgment. And will, to the best of my judgment. Skill and ability. Skill and ability. Truly. Truly. Faithfully. Faithfully. Diligently. Diligently. And impartially. And impartially. Perform the duties of police officer. Perform the duties of police officer. In and for Kitsap County, Washington. In and for Kitsap County, Washington. As such duties are prescribed by law. As such duties are prescribed by law. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you so much. After being so thoroughly disappointed by the lack of perspective in the KCERT investigation, I decided to do a little digging into the case myself. Based on interviews with people who had interacted with him, as well as more public records, I was able to develop a better picture of Officer Craig Keller. Besides his uh, personality, he also uh, claims to be a great dancer. So I'm hoping maybe... Uh... No? <laughs> That's very interesting because he shows that skill a lot in the squad room, I've noticed. So, Anyway, congratulations. If you want to say something or show a little your dance step, you're welcome. At the time of the shooting, he was 47 years old. He's married with children. With the Polsvo PD, he works in the canine unit partnered with a dog named Kilo, which I'm sure is hilarious around the squad room. The clip of him being sworn in was from 2015. 
He'd only begun his law enforcement career a year prior, which would have made him 43 when he started. I was able to track down someone that had worked with Officer Keller before that time. Jennifer Hess worked at a fast food chain where Craig Keller was the manager. She was very candid about her experience with him. You know, he wasn't a bad manager, but he would also get really, like, he was very short-tempered. Well, there's just two examples of a time where he, I thought he was really irrational. Just during a lunch rush, uh, I messed up an order at the drive-thru, and he became so upset about it, and the next day I walked into work, and he's like, oh, there's a dummy, you're going to decide to do your job today? Looking back on it, I would have left the job a lot sooner just for things like that because it kind of created a hostile work environment. You know, him acting like that also kind of encouraged the other managers to be that way. And it just created an environment that I didn't want to be at. So I came into work to put in my notice, and he was so angry with me. And he wouldn't even hear me out. He wouldn't let me put in my notice. He started yelling at me that I had already went behind his back with this other manager, and I was leaving him. And... I tried to talk to him about it because I wanted to tell him, like, this is not a fun work environment. You know, it's pretty hostile sometimes. That's why I'm leaving. And I went into the office and he just slammed the door in my face and wouldn't even talk to me. But the thing, I was a 19-year-old kid. Well, when I first heard he became an officer, I was surprised because of what an irrational person he was. That I couldn't believe they would let someone who couldn't keep their cool during the lunch hour rush at a restaurant, you know, fast food place be an officer of the law. But then when I heard about the shooting, um, I wasn't surprised to find out it was he was the officer. I mean, I really, I knew him 20 years ago, so it's kind of hard to, people do change, but he obviously has not uh, become a calmer person, I would say. And so when I heard about the student, shooting of Stoney, I thought that um, it was, had more to do with him being such an irrational, person that he just cannot keep his cool and then he saw Stoney as a dark person and even though he's not blatantly racist he still has we all have we've all grown up with racist images I think when Keller was in that situation he's irrational he can't keep his cool very well and he saw a dark person and it just escalated his fear he was not able to stop and really assess the situation in a rational way There was another person who was also very forthcoming about Craig Keller's personality and personal life that I really wanted to include. This person spoke in glowing terms of Officer Keller. I talked to them for a good while one afternoon. The next morning, they called me and asked for their statement to not be included in the podcast. During his interaction with Stonechild, Officer Keller's body cam fell off. While with the Polsbo PD, there was another case where Officer Keller's body cam fell off. Oddly, it was a similar situation to Stonechild's attempted arrest. The guy slips out of Officer Keller's grip due to, quote, sweaty hands, a common trait of a drug user. The body camera comes off in the process. In this instance, Officer Keller tackles the guy, knees him in the chest, and elbows him in the ribs, fighting until backup arrives. What I find most telling about this interaction is not between Officer Keller and the suspect. It's between Officer Keller and the suspect's girlfriend. 
Shortly after the arrest, a woman and her nephew show up asking about their loved one who is being taken into custody. Here's that interaction. Yes. No, go away. Is he here? Yeah. Is he going to jail? Yeah. He is? Yeah. Who are you guys? Who are you guys? Okay, yeah, he's going to jail. What's that? But he's going to jail. I don't need to tell you that, but just go to the other side. Can I pick up this? No, no. Go away while we're dealing with this. No, listen to me. Go away. I'm not answering any questions. Take him away. Go. You can see the girlfriend start to become physically afraid, hiding behind her nephew. She's here concerned for her loved one, and Officer Keller is screaming at her. This is one of those moments where people's impressions of police are made. A cop could go calmly explain what's happening, or he could scream at them until they go away. Because it only took me eight attempts to get public records officers to produce this recording, I had to wonder if this was a run-of-the-mill incident or part of a pattern. I made another public records request. This time, I was asking Polsbo PD for any use-of-force complaints or any internal investigations into Officer Keller's conduct. In March of 2017, a man named Ruslan Pavlov made a complaint against Officer Keller, stating, quote, I would have to say the dumbest, most unprofessional badge-wearing so-called officer, bully, power-hungry, Keller, is by far in the top three of this town's worst cops. Keller should be taken off the force before he does more damage to the honest working officers that do make a difference. Officers that take part in knowing their community and don't profile based on personality and looks. Best thing that happened to this town over the summer is when Officer Keller was suspended and some of us didn't have to look over our shoulder wondering what next stupid thing he would come up with to prove he is above simple day-to-day -day people. End quote. Ruslan also claimed that he felt singled out and harassed by Officer Keller. Keller was rude to him in multiple contacts. Because Ruslan slept in his car, Officer Keller would shine his flashlight into the car while he was sleeping. When Ruslan told Officer Keller he didn't like being woken up, Officer Keller told him, quote, I don't give a fuck, and, quote, you and your friends are pieces of shit and don't have rights, end quote. Ruslan said he just wants Officer Keller to leave him alone. There's something off about that guy. He's a very disrespectful type of person. Uh, me and my friend and pretty much everyone I know have had many issues with him. And I used to work two jobs. I'd take a nap in my car and he'd always wake me up, tapping on the window with his flashlight, being an asshole about shit like that. Like, so what if I'm taking a nap before I go to my second job? You know, I work graveyards at one place and work mornings in another place. Like, no matter where I go, he'd find a way to come and do something. He'd ban me from... I don't know, many places impossible for trespassing or loitering, as you would say. For some reason, he just has it out for me. Like, like his sergeant didn't believe me that every time I dealt with him, he didn't have his chest game on. And I'm like, okay, well, if that's the case, show me one footage of him and me having an interaction where I'm getting banned where he has his video recording going on. There has been many places where he has not had his chest cam on at all, or even on him. One of the incidents Keller told me I'm just a piece of shit criminal and he doesn't have to have any kind of evidence of dealing with me. It's like, okay, that right there is just a flag and that's why I filed my complaint. Unfortunately, the shooting here is going to happen. There's something off about that guy that I'm surprised he passed his fucking 
mental evaluation to be an officer. According to case documents, investigators had an informal interview with Officer Keller. Officer Keller was, quote, surprised that this man had made a complaint against him. When asked if he had told Ruslan that he and his friends were, quote, pieces of shit and had no rights, Officer Keller said he did not ever say this to him. Conclusion? No evidence to support claims against Officer Keller. Officer Keller denied this person's assertions about name-calling and denial of constitutional rights. An open and shut case. Another case that emerged in my investigation was a use-of-force incident from March of 2017. This incident featured Reserve Officer Lom, who was also involved in Stoney's shooting. Officer Lom had pulled a car over for speeding. He couldn't see into the window, so he walked up to the car and opened the door. The woman inside refused to exit the vehicle. After Officer Lom called for backup, Officer Keller arrived. Here's what happened next. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. We're going to get you out. Why are you taking one? Get out of the car. Officer Keller approached the scene, asked the woman twice to step out of the car. Four or five. Officer, I think. When she didn't, he grabbed her arm and yanked her out, forcing her to the ground. He kneeled on her back as he and Officer Long handcuffed her. No idea what just happened. You just okay. pulled me out of my vehicle. Yeah. I, I, I did it. I didn't understand that it was going to have to like Okay, yeah, yeah, it, it did. Officer Keller then used his canine to sniff for drugs. The dog, quote, alerted with his final sit and stare to the driver's door, end quote. The woman refused consent to search her car, so they towed it. A search for drugs later came up empty. A subsequent policy review of the incident was conducted. The report went on to say, quote, Officer Keller and Reserve Officer Lom use of force to remove the driver from the vehicle were not substantiated with any clear and articulated reason or threat. At no point does Officer Keller advise the driver she is under arrest prior to the use of force. Officer Keller did not independently assess the situation and base his reactions on the driver's actions, rather off the other officer's actions. In cases of use of force, Officers must make decisions based on their own independent assessment of the situation. Officer Keller's knee can be seen in the middle of her back while she is prone. She was not resisting the application of force. This technique is taught to subdue a combative subject that has resisted the initial application of force. I recommend the department provide training to both officers on patrol procedures and de-escalation techniques. End quote. Lastly, my personal favorite section. Quote, None of the officers on scene remembered to complete a use of force report, an oversight due to each officer believing the other had completed it. End quote. The report concluded officers Lom and Keller were guilty of two violations. One was for traffic function and responsibility, and the second was use of force, factors used to determine the reasonableness of force. I should add here, neither Detective Wheeler nor Officer Sangill had any prior complaints or investigations into their conduct. The KCERT investigation, in fact, did not include any of this information. Officer Keller's work misconduct, history of aggressive behavior, allegations of bias policing, not included in the murder investigation. One might think that to be relevant. For his part in the shooting, Officer Keller submitted a statement. Quote, Mr. Chiefstick attacked me with a weapon and attempted to stab me. 
He moved to attack me a second time, and I fired my weapon in defense of my life and the lives of citizens around me. The actions of Mr. Chiefstick were totally unprovoked. Had I not shot Mr. Chiefstick, he would have severely injured or killed myself and or other citizens. End quote. Obviously, I didn't know Stoney, so I talked to his friends and family to get a better sense of who he was. You know, he was a really happy child, you know. He was like, since I was only eight years old, he was just like my human human stuffed animal. <laughs> you know, he's like a big teddy bear when he grew up. And um, my brother was a really, he was a really outgoing person, you know. He didn't want conflict between the family. You know, he just wanted everybody to be happy and get along, especially after my grandfather passed away. Um, the way we grew up, it wasn't easy, you know, but that didn't change, you know, the way my brother was or who I am today. You know, we were, we were happy with what we had and, um, basically my brother and I only had each other for a while. Well, I met him actually in Seattle when I was like... 16 and he was 14 and I didn't know he was 14 he was big and taller than me and we just I just thought wow he's cute and we kind of smiled at each other and then we kept it moving I was going to a powwow and we were on the bus and he knew my friends that were his friends and that was all we just hi how you doing then I seen him again at another powwow we ended up hanging out and he just like automatically he just moved in we're just together and it was right before his 21st birthday and we ended up having three kids together stoney and i we were always close when we were together we had our children we just it it really didn't matter whatever happened we just always kind of got over it and we're just always always close and then when uh I got married, we got over it. He got over it. Took a little while, about a year or so, got over it. We're at this point where we're just all family. And the last week we spent with him was absolutely beautiful. He had done some, he had done some work in the yard and he's a landscaper. He'd done, done some work and did a few things and, um, the kids, we all spent some time together. We went out, out on our boat, went all around to Puget Sound. Trishandra uh, is a childhood friend of mine. We grew up next door to each other. And then later I lived um, in tribal housing with both of them as neighbors and our kids, our friends, and you know, grew up together. And I just knew Stoney as a really nice guy who was always outside playing with his kids. Um, like I've never seen anyone be outside playing with their kids as much as this guy. You know, played basketball, he played at the park, and you know, we all knew him as a, a safe and kind person. So it's really hurtful that I feel like the police and you know, the media have tried to portray him as a, as a dangerous and scary guy. 
um, when that's not what our whole you know community agrees that he was not like that. We do know people who are like that, you know, and we warn each other about about people that are unsafe around kids or you know that are volatile or you know a, a danger to our community. And he wouldn't have had so many friends in the community if he if he was like the person that they're trying to portray him as being. Uh, he was a really stand-up, caring guy. You know, he'd be the type of guy that would, you know, he actually literally would give the last dollar, to, you know, to me, my brother. You know, my brother and him are really good friends growing up. They ran around and, you know, did their things together, hanging out and whatnot, and going places. And, and uh, he would literally give out his last dollar so he could go get a soda pop or something. It's just, that's just the type of guy he was, you know, he was just a really caring, giving type of person. And when my brother had uh, passed away, it really hurt him deeply and he wanted to find justice for my brother, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I was telling him, you know, what could we do? You know, my brother drank himself to death and it was hard for him to get the concept of that. It, it broke him down, it did. So, you know, he started crying. He got emotionally upset, you know, mentally just hurting. He's like, no, we gotta find, you know, who did this to him, what happened? And it's like, there's nobody that did this but to himself. My brother did it to himself, drinking. It just, it, it really hurt his heart. It's just a shame to see what happened, happened, especially with kids around, you know, that just, it's baffling. Does anybody even know what Sony went through? Like, his brother, when he was 16, and his brother was 14, and he put his clothes in the dryer. In that old, old, old house from like 1900 and something, the electricity, the old wires in there caught on fire. And his brother didn't make it through it. His brother got smoke inhalation. His brother's in the convalescent center getting fed through a tube. To this day, he can't walk or talk. And Stoney blamed himself. From the age of 16 years old, Stoney blamed himself because he put his clothes in the dryer. He blamed himself. He's not an asshole, piece of shit. He's just somebody that's been hurt and just kind of drank to get away from it all. He would never go out there and hurt nobody and be weird like those people were saying. The more I learned about him, the more I related to him. We were about the same age. We both had birthdays around the same time. We both loved football. We both had lost a close friend that really damaged us and led us to drink. His story is not unfamiliar to many families across the U.S. Stoney told me many stories about police like basically you don't trust them and be very careful with the police don't talk back to them behave kind of a thing 
So like when police were around, he would tease me like, why do you, you know, like if there's a cop around, why do you talk to him like that? You know, like don't talk to cops like that, man. They'll beat you. They, they'll stick their dogs on you like that. Like growing up in Seattle, being a minority, being a native person in Seattle, he was absolutely aware. Like he always told man, they'll whoop your ass. In 2010, John T. Williams, a deaf native woodcarver, was gunned down by Seattle police officer Ian Burke when he didn't immediately respond to commands. Months after the incident, there was a march where a memorial totem pole would be delivered to the Seattle Center. One of the people helping to carry the totem pole was Stonechild Chiefstick. We have learned nothing. It was late. It was just getting dark and I put the coals on. And as the coals were burning and it was just dark, I heard a bunch of sirens. And every time I hear sirens, I say little prayers. And uh, we all ate dinner and everything. Then my uncle came down and he's like, I heard there was a shooting in Paulsbo. And I said, what? And I went to bed. We, You know, we ate, whatever, hung out, whatever. I went to bed. And I get a knock at the door at about 12-something. And I open the door, and it's my cousin. She goes, Trish, got to tell you something. She goes, sit down. I said, what, 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 what's going on? What do you, what do you got to tell me? My cousin took my hand, and she said, I seen something on Facebook, this woman. She's like, uh, she said R.I.P. Stoney. So what are you talking about? What are, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? She said R.P. Stoney, Trish. She's like, Trish, she said R.P. Stoney. She goes, and, then, and I'm seeing other things on Facebook. So what do you mean? What What do you mean? I'm like, flabbergasted. Like, what? I can't breathe. Like, what? And so we called the 911. And we said, we've heard somebody we love is it's been killed and we we don't know where to ask or what to do and they're like well we'll have somebody call you so somebody calls us right right away right away it made me feel disgusting they they wouldn't tell me whether he's dead or alive they start asking me a bunch of questions bunch of stupid questions basically questions that are trying to frame him for his own death like what are you serious like the person talking to me is like what was he doing that day did you see him what 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 was he doing what did he do what did he did he do drugs did he do this did he do that did he, and i'm like i said oh so you're asking me a bunch of questions and i said like this to the the detective on the phone I said you won't tell me if he's dead or not I said, all you're doing is asking me a bunch of goddamn fucking questions that sound to me like you're trying to cover up for some policeman shooting them. And I hung up the phone. And that's where it's been ever since. If you thought this episode has been biased against Officer Keller, well, that was by design. These are the same techniques used by police to discredit Stoney as part of the law enforcement investigation. They don't say things like, 
A father, genuinely loved by the community, was gunned down by police in the middle of a crowded festival. Someone needs to speak for the victim. Three days before he died, his daughter took him out in the backyard. She took out a, a abalone shell. She put cedar and sage and sweet grass in it. And she lit that shell up. She took a fan, a golden hawk fan, fully beaded. She fanned her father. She fanned him from head to toe, singing Indian songs, smudging her dad, cleaning her dad from everything that's hurt him. We didn't know what she was doing, but she knows right now that she was cleansing him to go the other side. There's not a goddamn day I go by that this shit don't hurt. My kids don't deserve this shit. (laughs) My kids don't deserve this. He wasn't out there hurting anyone. The person in this situation people should be afraid about is Craig Keller because he's the one who did the murder. On the next episode of The Killing of Stonechild Chief Stick. Officer Keller choosing to deploy lethal force on Stonechild in the middle of this crowd, was that justified or was that something that is liable under the criminal code of Washington? You know, in that prosecutor's report, it seemed like they were picking and choosing whose quotes they were going to publish. So let's talk about the definitions, the statutory definitions for force. There's a different time frame to look at based on the statutory requirements that the deadly force has to be necessary. To condemn police violence elsewhere while continuing to avoid meaningful accountability for the profound harm that police have caused in the city is reprehensible. I demand justice for a stone child chief stick. I have not seen a prosecutor do that. It's spectacular. He's broken ranks with state law enforcement in taking that position. Reading the prosecutor's report is absolutely imperative to have this conversation. There's some stuff floating around online. There's a video, a horrific, uh, it's a propaganda piece that terribly distorts the facts. Guys, don't believe necessarily what you see on the internet. Guys, gotta do some homework. I think everybody just needs to stick together. Not only our family, but the community. And they need to see what's really going on.
Check out stonechildpodcast.com for more information on how to help support Stoney's family and their search for justice. If you liked this episode, give it a review on your listening platform. If you want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash domcampeace and sign up.